Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 88 and is being recorded on January 26, 2019. Today's topic is Spectral Scans of Discovery, Season 2, Episode 2, New Eden. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for Season 2, Episode 2, New Eden. You have been warned. I'm Eric Dewey. I'm Aaron Gallo. And I'm Eric Berry. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. How's everybody doing this uh, fine, what is it, Saturday? I, I don't even know. I've lost track of days. This week has been a whirlwind of poop. So Discovery was the <laughs> discovery was the bright spot of my week. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it was a, a pretty good episode that was also the highlight of my week. So. <laughs> yeah, it was all right episode. No, it's awesome. <laughs> it's <laughs> this was the best discovery episode ever. Uh, well, I, don't, no, I don't know if I'd go that far go because that far. I didn't even I didn't rank it as high as last week's episode. I thought the season yeah, opener you went was scale last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I do think this episode was was really really good. So um, it'll be an interesting discussion. Though, see, I like when we don't all agree completely because then we have a, a better discussion about things i think when when everybody agrees on everything it's just kind of like okay yeah, yeah yeah it was great it was great it was great oh, okay that's it <laughs> we're done we're, we're done talking about it now <laughs> so it looks like we've got a little bit of news here though what's going on there so this is really cool because last year for cbs um, all access for discovery season one, episode one, that was actually on prime time on the actual CBS channel. So they're doing something similar for the premiere for season two, but they're putting it for free on the all access YouTube channel. The, the season two episode one brother is available for free. You can watch it right now on YouTube. I think that's a great idea for them to to put just that one episode out there, get people hooked in, especially that episode. I mean, that's such mm -hmm. a great season premiere. And even if you hadn't seen season one, I mean, yeah, it's better if you have seen season one because it does have things that tie back to it. But it's basically a new start, starting fresh storyline. So it's a great place to start, even if you hadn't watched the first one. So I think it's a great idea. I think it's going to uh, boost their membership into all access because people are going to be like, oh, I like this. I want more and sign up at least for the for the trial period. Yeah, I think they're still offering the one week free trial if you're signing up new for the first time. Right. So. Yeah. And I think any anyone that is on the fence, then just wait until you get the free access when the season is over and just binge it. Yep. Like, I, I don't get why people get so up in arms about the cost when there's ways that you can get around it legally and not just like, oh, I'm going to torn it off the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like but, if you really, yeah. really need to not have a monthly subscription and watch it weekly, you can wait until the end of the season. You can, you know, get your trial or even just pay for one month if you need it to, to binge the whole season. I think it's worth watching weekly. I think I've gotten enough use out of the CBS All Access app for other shows as well as Star Trek to justify mm -hmm. the price I pay for it, I think. I have, I've not had a problem with it. I still have a big problem with people complaining about it, specifically using the term paywall. 
that still just bugs me because nobody says, oh, I can't watch Game of Thrones because it's behind a paywall. No, it's an HBO <laughs> streaming original. You have to pay for it to get it. Nobody nobody says, oh, I, I, you know, hey, I, I want to watch that new Bird Box movie. Everybody's talking about it, but it's behind a paywall. No, it's on Netflix, which you have to pay for. Yes, but it's a streaming original. And that's this is a streaming original for CBS. So, yes, you have to pay for it. But it's not a it's not a paywall. It's not something that is available for free out there, but you have to get access to it somewhere. You know, it's not some sneaky way for them to get some money out of you. And that's what I consider a, a paywall to be when they like tease you with something and then be like, haha, you thought you were going to get to read this article, but now you can't unless you pay us. No, that's not what this is. And it's it's not a per episode. You have to buy each episode to, to watch it type of thing. It's a streaming original. And like any streaming original, you have to pay for the service whose original right. it is. <laughs> well, well, there was there was one um, news article that came out that that wasn't in our show notes, but CBS All Access did announce earlier this week uh, that the second season premiere of Star Trek Discovery and the AFC Championship game drove record-breaking weekend for the streaming service. So they added more subscribers in a single weekend than ever before, wow. eclipsing the previous record set during the 2017 premiere of Star Trek Discovery by 72 percent and it's a weekend for uh set a new record for unique viewers wow so right. the demand for discovery is huge discovery and because of the football game they have yeah, live streaming <laughs> of your local yeah. cbs station which i'm sure was a pull for a lot of football fans yeah, oh, I, I don't doubt that at, at, at all, but I'm sure a lot of it was was Star Trek as well. You know, we're we're a pretty loyal fan base, you know, with all the you stuff. You won't know that by reading Twitter comments. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the way I see it, though, it's like in order to complain about the episodes and complain about what they look like or the storyline or something like that, you have to watch it. So <laughs> it's kind of like that old thing with uh, with Howard Stern, you know, when he was coming up, you know, people like, you know, people who like Howard Stern listen an average of one and a half hours. People who hate him listen for an average of three hours or something like that. It's like, well, you know, we're lo we're loyal fans, but uh, we can be uh, overly critical at times as well as a fan base in general. Not not us specifically. I think we find us a good balance personally. Yeah, I think we're pretty cool. <laughs> I like us. <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it. People like me. <laughs> So why don't we jump into the would you buy it? What do you think, guys? Yes. Yes? <laughs> I would buy this. Uh, I would not. There's just no way I would spend that much money on this particular type of item. Mm -hmm. And uh, and throwing a, a Delta Shield and a couple of Star Treks on it isn't going to change that uh, for me. I mean, it looks like a good product. It looks like, you know, I know I've seen other versions of things like this that cost this much, but it's not something that... I am willing to pay that much for because I know that I can get kind of the equivalent for quite a bit less as far as utility goes. And like mm. I said, throwing a Delta Shield on it, yeah, it looks cool. I'll give it that, but it, it doesn't make it worth the nearly $400 <laughs> that it costs. I tend to agree, although I am looking for a new one of these. and I, I need a new chair for the office, and yeah. this is it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so or at least I want it to be it. <laughs> right. So what we're talking about is the Verona Pro V2 Star Trek Edition. Gaming via, chair. Yes, chair. Gaming chair via 
Arosi, I think. That's a, how you maybe pronounce it's a, it. Maybe it's Arosi, like pizza? Is it, is it <laughs> yeah, Italian? Is it, is it Italian-made? If it's Italian-made, oh, it'd be Arosi. Related products, they also have Star Trek Edition gaming desk. For I saw that. For $430. Bucks. Wow. Wait, the, the desk is yeah. cheaper? I have, to, I have to look at that. Because a desk... I would be willing to pay more for than a chair. I know it seems weird. Like, I know you spend <laughs> a lot of time in your chair. Like, I would love to have something like this at work. I don't spend enough time in a desk chair at home, even when I'm podcasting. I have a, a nice task chair that I picked up at Costco for, like, 60 bucks. It is very comfortable, very supportive, fits my studio very nicely. I dig it. I don't need one of these super high-end gaming chairs. But my... uh brother-in-law did get himself a very nice gaming chair and it looked it looks very similar actually to this chair it's just different color and doesn't have star trek logo on it i'm not sure what brand his is i think he only paid like 150 for it and even Mm -hmm. that i was looking at it going you paid 150 dollars for a chair but he does spend a lot more time actually you know gaming and sitting in that chair so i i suppose it was worth it to him like i said i'd love to have something like this at work but I would also not want to bring something that costs this much into my work and have to leave it when I'm not working (laughs) and worry about other people either taking it or putting their butts in my stuff when I'm when I'm not there. Yeah, I mean, this seems a little high, but it's about right for a high end gaming chair. Um, And I, I, I like the blue. If I were to get it, I would get it with the blue. I see. Yeah, this is available in black, blue and red. No yellow. I think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, me too. I totally agree. Yeah, the, I mean, if the you're red and the blue two are nice. The three division co- colors. Why not go yeah, for why, it? Yeah, <laughs> why, why do they have a, a black but not? I mean, is that, is that a section thirty-one version? <laughs> but but then it doesn't even look like even with the black one especially. It literally just looks like any other gaming chair with a Delta right. Shield thrown on it. The blue one does look really nice. The red one looks nice. Um, I do agree. The uh, science yellow would be good as well, or command yellow, depending on which <laughs> which series you're thinking of. My mind always goes to TNG, uh, so I think of it as science yellow. Well, I, I, engineering. Yeah. Engineering support. <laughs> yeah, science is always blue. Oh yeah, now that I, now I'm seeing that desk. I'm taking a look at the the desk, and I thought it was going to be cooler than that. That is literally just a basic basic desk with a Delta shield on it, and in the word Star Trek. Like there is nothing special about that desk to make it worth three hundred and twenty dollars. That's insane. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like I was thinking it was going to be like a smaller version of the uh, the table they had in After Trek for season one. I would pay three hundred dollars for something like that. Like, you Yo, know, whatever they're doing, like if that. they have that desk from After Trek in storage, I will gladly take it off their hands. <laughs> uh, I'm with you there. I, oh man, how great of a studio table would that be to to podcast on? Oh, that would be so awesome. Well, now now they got some Facebook Live thing instead. Yeah, did you guys watch it? I have not. No, I I, I know I no. I haven't watched it. Was there Neither. a new one for this episode? I think I think it was Friday during the day. Uh, I don't know. I don't like those. Yeah, yeah Facebook tends to it, it brings out the worst in the commenters and the live anything live on Facebook, you it's almost impossible to completely turn off the comments. Like you can make them smaller so that you they're only at the bottom of the screen and you know not you know you're not watching the whole thing in half a screen with the rest of it being comments. But yeah, last year they did a baseball game a week. They did on Facebook Live instead of anywhere else. And so a couple of times my Diamondbacks games were on Facebook instead of on my MLB.tv and that was just so frustrating. I I hated it so much. I ended up one 
one time I ended up turning it off and just listening to the radio uh, version of the game instead because I was like, I can't, I can't do this with Facebook. Uh, I can't. Mm. So, I mean, I get why they would do it that way. It's a, it's probably a better live experience than After Trek was because I know they seem to have issues. I, I was never able to watch After Trek actually live. I never was able to get a good connection and actually watch it live. I always had to watch it the next day or, or after that. But yeah, I don't know about this Facebook thing. I think I'll probably go back and watch one of the previous ones, or at least some of it, to see if it's worth checking out. And hey, listeners out there, if you've watched this uh, Facebook Live, what are they calling it? It's got a different, they're not calling the it The Ready Room? The Ready Room, like that's that? what it, yeah, The Ready Room. Um, if you've watched The Ready Room, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and whatever, and admit, go to our Facebook page. <laughs> watch watch it, then go to our Facebook page and uh, let us know if, uh, if you think it's worth us taking a look at. Indeed. So why don't we jump into the episode, shall we? Absolutely. So... Let's read the summary from the CBS website. A new signal appears, prompting Stamets' emotional return to the Mycenaeal network and leading Michael, Christopher, and Joanne to a pre-warp planet where they face a complex ethical dilemma. Dum, dum, dum. Tilly's over-eagerness lands her in trouble, but when the planet and Discovery's landing party are threatened, her curiosity may be the only thing that can save them. Ooh. I'd be intrigued even if I hadn't watched the episode. <laughs> so yeah, what'd you guys like about this episode? I, I liked quite a bit about it. Um, I think this, first of all, this is easily the most trekish episode of Discovery that we've gotten so far. Mm -hmm. uh, this was far and away, you know, the way it was presented, it had a coherent storyline, it had an ethical dilemma, it had, you know, all the hallmarks of a Trek episode, but still fit within the overall arc that they're trying to tell without it seeming like a one-off, like the mud episode from season one, where I was just like, okay, yeah, it fits in, I guess, but it was also kind of just like a separate entity. This wasn't that, but it was a very good Trek episode, and I think that that was something that a lot of people complained about from season one, is that, yeah, it was a good story and everything, but it wasn't Star Trek. Well, this was definitely a Star Trek episode. Mm -hmm. I also like that they, they use the spore drive again simply because I think the graphics for the spore jump is one of the coolest things that we've seen in any Trek ever. It's just awesome to look at and I could watch it all the time. The only thing better is specifically when they jumped while at warp. That was like the culmination oh, of man, so much was... awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really love the graphics, like you said, for, for the spore jump. Like those effects are amazing and I love that we got another spinning uh, rotation on the excess on the energy again. cavitation activated. Or I think that's what they called it the first time they used, they said it, and then they never mentioned it again. <laughs> but it's cool looking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that we got the spore jump in season two, mainly because it puts to rest some of the fans that were like, oh, they're not going to do it because they're being sued. Oh, that whole tardigrade BS. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that they did it to put that to rest. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the spore drive was, was awesome. And it, it took some convincing for, for Stamets to do it, but I like that they use it not once, but twice in this episode, like not only to get to their destination, times. but they use the spore drive, even in a small jump 
more like a precision jump to execute the maneuver that was later in the episode. And I thought that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah technically they did three jumps. Cause if you notice, they jumped out of there again as well. Well, sure. Yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, so we got three sport jumps, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really dug that, that whole issue with the tardigrade game and everything. I think it's baloney because I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, I can see some of the comparisons, but not really. And it looks more like to me that both the creator of the game and the creators of discovery happened to read the real Paul Stamets book. And that's what they were drawing inspiration from. That's my theory on the subject. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> speaking of theories, one thing I liked about this episode was that it seems my theory from last episode that the these red bursts are appearing specifically to direct Starfleet or Discovery or you know whoever specifically to someone or something or some place that is in need of help. You know, the first time we talked about it, it's like how how did this crash ship just happen to be where the burst was and you know my theory was well maybe the burst was to tell them that the ship was there so they could go save these people and then it happened that they put them in a position to get exactly what they would need mm -hmm. to fix the second problem so i think not only are these red bursts being specifically sent out to direct starfleet to places that need help but they're also doing it in a specific order so that you know kind of like an escape room type thing where they're they're going to get a piece of the puzzle from each location and end up to be able to do what they need to do at the end which is in my you know when we, when we get to our predictions for the for this next episode and the season and stuff i'll talk about that a little bit but i think well, that's kind of where they're going well i i like because we've heard in interviews before from the producers and everything that this is going to be like a science versus faith type of season. This episode really laid the groundwork for that because yeah. it, it just did a really good job of having the conflict with, with Burnham and, and Pike where I'm really glad that we got to learn that Pike seemed to have some kind of religious background or maybe his family was very religious because like, I, I'm a Roman Catholic and I mean, I'm not completely practicing all the time or anything, but you know, I, I was just floored when, Oh, uh, peace be with you. And he said, and also with you, because that's what you say during mass. But apparently so, so the did, Catholic mass has changed. Yeah, I was, I, I, I was wondering about that. I was like, so does that mean at some point the the Catholic canon is going to go back to that? Because right now it's peace be with you and with your spirit. So right. it's like, are they which, going which, back? To which I didn't know because I haven't, I guess, been to <laughs> I didn't know that where they said that into like from nine years ago, they changed it. So someone on my timeline was like, oh, well, that's not what they say now. And I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> and then I found this like whole NPR article from like 10 years ago that the church was changing that. I'm like, wow, it was I a, guess it, I haven't really been in a while. Yeah, it, it wasn't a, uh, a change, like just like, hey, we're going to change this up. It was more of a somebody had gone through and retranslated a lot of the original Latin and mm -hmm. Aramaic, I guess, and had determined that actually this is more accurate to what sure. canonical teachings are supposed to you know, something like that. I don't know. But that's what I liked because um, I liked how this dichotomy with Burnham and, and Pike, you know, they, they were trying to each get their push their I don't want to say push their agendas, but, you know, they have these different viewpoints. And, and that was the thing that I liked about Burnham when she said, well, suppose suppose that my religion is science and 
it, it's just a very nice like science versus versus faith. And if that's the theme for this whole season, I am so down with it. If it gives us more, you know, more episodes like this. And mm. what's another great thing, like from the short treks now that I'm realizing was uh, Saru's episode also dealt with, you know, faith versus science. Well, yeah. do, do we just keep, you know, sacrificing ourselves to some unknown being or do we try to find the answers ourselves? Man, if, if that's the whole theme for this season, I'm here for it. No one else had that theme. Star Trek V. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. You shut your filthy mouth. So if we need to see Cybok in this season. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, God. Gee. Look, I'm God not saying gee. Star Trek has a perfect record in dealing with religion. No, no. I just, I'm just saying that this is the perfect opportunity to reintroduce Cybok into the canon. I would, I would that not would, mind them that bringing be... Cybok in and making him a good character this time. Not good as in like a good, you know what I mean? Not like, oh, he's a good guy now, but you know, he'd no, still be like him, a, but a like well-written character. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because he definitely was not in, in five. That was, uh, um, one thing that I was wondering is, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm thinking that these red bursts are directing Starfleet to different places. And Spock evidently was receiving these signals at least two months prior, probably longer than that, because he said he'd been he'd been having these nightmares for a while before he even started drawing them. And that was two months before Starfleet saw the burst. So I'm wondering if for whatever reason, these beings, whatever they are, whether it's just an alien species or whether it's some sort of deity, whatever they are, maybe they tried to reach out to Spock directly first, but he didn't understand their intent and just thought he was going crazy, which is why he then you know had himself committed, which we find out in this episode. He's currently committed to a psychiatric hospital at his own request uh, mm -hmm. on Starbase 5. So I'm wondering well, if that's somehow his connection, uh, you know, maybe it's a Vulcan thing. You know, maybe we'll find out that other Vulcans are had also had this vision or maybe it's because he's half human, half Vulcan. Maybe that specific combination is what led them to reach out to him. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But that's kind of the theory I'm going with. Well, Aaron, I know you're you're a huge Spock fan. So mm -hmm. what what were your thoughts on Spock self-committing himself. Initially, I was totally against his character needing to be committed, but I did like that mental health issues are addressed. If, you know, if you need the help, you should seek the help. And subsequent rewatchings of the episode, I didn't have any issues with it. But, you know, you're growing up and seeing this character evolve from, you know, 19... 66 to you know 2009 or 2012 and i never thought his character was or needed any kind of help in that way but then again this is this is a spock that we've never seen before Right, this like, is a younger Spock. Yeah, this is yeah. we we caught a glimpse of that Spock in uh, the menagerie and and the cage, the the younger Spock who cracked a smile, this and that. Right, that's the only glimpse we saw of a younger Spock from this time period. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm I'm fully okay with him not having all of his mental discipline that we see right. in the original series and beyond. Right. 
No, I agree with you there, definitely. But yeah, you're right. Addressing the mental issues in in this time period and in this in this current situation that we live in, where there should be a a bigger focus on mental health and the fact that for even a character like Spock to realize, look, I'm not all there and I I don't have the answers. I might be going crazy. Can you just put me in observation? Right. Because I need to figure this out. And you're right. I think it sends a, a good message for for today. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like so many people, there's still such a stigma against uh, mental health issues. And it's something that needs to be addressed. So I, I agree with you guys. It's something very good to see Spock taking the initiative to seek help. And especially because we've never thought of Spock as a character that would need that sort of help. I think that's exactly why he's perfect for this, because it's never the people you think need the help who need the help the most. I mean, you always, right. you know, you see these people like uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, Robin Williams, you know, you see these people commit suicide who you're like, but they were always so happy. They were always so upbeat. They were always so, they never seemed like they had any issues. They were always good. Why, how, how did we not know that they had this going on internally? And that's why, because they don't show it. They don't externalize it. It, it gets internalized. And the more you do that, the worse it gets until you get to a point where you can't take so I do encourage anyone out there listening, if you have depression, anxiety, any sort of issues, go go see somebody. There's tons of places, even if you don't have health insurance that covers it, there's tons of places out there. Almost every county in the United States has some sort of resources that you can go and talk to somebody and, and get, get some help. I highly encourage it. I see a therapist myself every two weeks. If you think you need help, go get it. It doesn't hurt. You know, it's not like right. if you go and it doesn't help you, then OK, it doesn't help you. But uh, there's no harm in going and seeking the help. And I highly encourage anybody out there to do so. Next thing I liked about this episode, even though it was very Star Trek-ish, they didn't do one of the Star Trek tropes that we've seen, I think, too many times in the past. And what I'm saying is that I really liked the fact that they did not take Jacob with them off of that planet. Mm. So many times we've seen where they've, you know, encountered these species that aren't ready for warp or people from the past, you know, in Star Trek four or something like that, where they take this one person with them, you know, like, because, because, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that this time, that he was satisfied just knowing that what he and his family had believed basically is one person getting confirmation of their faith. They, that's what they had believed in the entire time that they were living there. Mm -hmm. And he got his confirmation. So it would be kind of the same as, you know, any religious person having their God just like come down and be like, hey, how you doing? You're right, by the way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so he was happy with that and satisfied with that. And uh, they moved on. So I, I liked that they revealed themselves, you know, at least Pike yeah. revealed himself to be like, listen, you were right. I'm sorry we had to lie to you in front of the others, but you were right. But we got to go now. Bye. <laughs> But I, I, I like that Pike did that not only to confirm Jacob's suspicions, but also to get the information that they needed and the evidence, Yeah, which yeah. is great. 
yeah, they needed to get that camera footage so they could see a little bit about what had happened. We get a little bit more confirmation of what's what's going on in the storyline. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the final thing on my likes list, I mean, I loved so much about this episode, but the things that I specifically liked, the overall cinematography and direction on this episode was amazing. I mean, thank you, Jonathan Frakes, first of all, because you did a fantastic job in the direction. But the cinematography in this, especially certain shots that they did differently than other Trek shows have always done, like when they went down to the planet. We're so used to seeing them land, boom, full frame, the people beaming in. Always. That's how it always is when you see people transported to a planet on Star Trek. This time they did a wide, high aerial shot, and you just see the light of the transporter in the distance of them coming in. And I thought that was just so, just a little touch that was just so cool. And then one of my favorite things about Discovery in general is the fact that they actually represent the spatial orientation of starships in space the way they kind of would be, as in, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> it doesn't. They don't have to be right side up in comparison to the planet or in a certain way. And, you know, they showed the discoveries kind of at this, like, weird angle above the planet that if the planet's gravity were affecting the people on the ship would be really weird. But we know that that's not the case. The, the ship has its own gravity generating whatever in the floors or however they do it. So I liked that you just see those ships just in orbit, just however it got there, basically, because it really doesn't matter when you're in space and you have artificial gravity. The direction right. your ship is doesn't matter at all. And they've done this before when they've shown ships come up and they're not perfectly level, same plane, head to head. You know, they're kind of askew a little bit. And it's like, yeah, that's how they would actually be because they wouldn't care how they were pointed until they had to start fighting. That's the only mm-hmm. time they would care where they were pointed because they'd want to be able to, to aim and such. But when you're just out there talking, it doesn't matter. I dig that. Cool. So we already talked about some of my likes already with, we talked about Spock and such and the mental health issues. One of the things I really liked or appreciated about this episode was when Pike asked Burnham who the best officer for the away mission was. And gender and race was not an issue because Usually, the entire time we see strapping young men beam down to the planet. Or the um, captain just picks the people, you know, seemingly at random or, you know, whatever they, whoever they like the most goes on the most away missions, basically. Right. Like, you know, the first officer, tactical officer. Joanne is uh, the ops officer, and we got to learn a little bit more about her, which I liked. Uh, she lived in a community that didn't have technology. And she was uh, pretty smart. Uh, She was able to figure out a way for them to escape using a magnet, uh, which was kind of cool. She MacGyvered her her way out of the situation. I dug that. MacGyver also on CBS All Access. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Have you watched any of the new new MacGyver? Uh, I I have not. I tried, and then I I was like, nope. I tried to go back and watch some of the old MacGyver uh, a while back, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cheesy. <laughs> I remember that loving this so when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, I love Richard Dean Anderson in, in Stargate, but, yeah, going back and watching MacGyver is rough. <laughs> you got to suspend belief a little bit. I think my favorite episode of MacGyver, though, is the one where, like, he had to use a gun. But he didn't use it to like he's always like the entire show. He's like, no, I won't even touch a gun. And then he ended up using took a revolver, like took the the, the barrel out of it and used part of it as like a wrench to like stop a nuclear power plant from <laughs> overheating or something. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> yeah, some of them were a little over the top. Sidetrack a little bit. One of my favorites was the episode where he was judging a 
a science fair or something at a college. <laughs> it wasn't a science fair. They were these college students were making these locks and they had to figure out how to unlock the door of the in the dormitories. There was this one where his door actually wasn't locked and but if you look through the peephole, it looked like it was locked. So when you figured out how to unlock the door, it actually locked the door. Tricky. Yeah, it was a pretty, pretty interesting episode. <laughs> but let's get back into Star Trek. <laughs> Another cool thing we learned, uh, you mentioned this, Mr. Dewey, uh, Pike's father was, or it might have been you, uh, Mr. Barry. Yeah, uh, Pike's was, father was, was a science teacher. <clears throat> Wait, when did we learn that? I, I must have missed that line. In the, I think it was his ready room. Yeah, it's when they're when they're in the ready room and they're talking about, you know, she's like, we need to find Spock, and he's like, uh, listen, I know where he's at. Let's go sit down, and have a chat. And she's like, I haven't talked to my brother in years. And he said, Ah, uh, yeah, family dynamics can be weird or awkward or something. Yeah. You know, my mm-hmm. my dad was a science teacher, but he also taught comparative religion. So yeah, there's oh, always a fight in my I house. I completely missed that part. Uh, okay, so I mean that's how Pike was able to uh, simulate into this uh, society so well. Yeah, he was able to because not only did he have the background of just one religious faith, and he wasn't just mm-hmm. like with with Burnham. She had read the text, so she she knew the text, but that doesn't necessarily tell you. Uh, the context. Exactly. So he knew the context. He knew how to figure out, you know, what they what parts of what religions they were kind of cobbling together to make their mm-hmm. new faith. And that's how he was able, like you said, to just kind of blend in, and not get found out. Right. I liked the Pike risked his life to save the little girl from the overloading phaser. I think it shows us a little bit more into his character. And kind of hints at what's going to happen with him later. Right. Yeah. He's very selfless in that regard. Right. And then General Order One is paramount I to Pike. Love that they did not call it the Prime Directive. Like mm. that we're still in that General Order. We're still in that Starfleet phase of yeah. the original series where you know the Prime Directive as a concept. Yes, it's General Order One, but. Uh, I I, lo- I just I love that they didn't say prime directive. Yeah. When did the, when did it change? When did it go from general order 1 to the prime directive? Was that something between, I, I think TNG, right? Was that the first time they said it as prime directive? I'm I'm wondering if they changed it because it got broken so much. They're like, "Well, maybe if we call it something more powerful like okay, it's not general order 1 keeps getting broken all the dang time. So, um what what else could we It's the same rule, but let's call it something that sounds like it's more yeah, authoritative. Ooh, the prime directive. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so, I like how Pike is, you know, the first captain we see that's really enforcing this cuz I mean, I don't know. I Archer probably broke the Prime Directive a bunch of they times. They didn't even have one. Yeah. Yeah. There was so, there wasn't a federation and, and, until and, and Enterprise. <laughs> and Enterprise set the ground rule for why that that general order came into existence. Yeah. He right. just said someday we'll have a directive. A, a prime direct. <laughs> that I hated. I freaking hated that line. <laughs> that that was them not being subtle with continuity. Yeah. yeah. We see in the original series prior captains have completely disrupted societies. Sure. Um, so I, I think it's cool. Pike's a stand-up guy. I love him, and I love the actor. 
Pike is um, really one of the best captains we've seen thus far, and we're only two episodes into so, this this version of Pike. Yeah, he, he's awesome. So somewhat like when when we when the episode was last week, I was talking with some friends uh, on, on Twitter. I was talking with some friends, and uh, someone was like, "Oh yeah, wow, Pike, I I really like him." And uh, y- you know, this was coming from a straight guy, and and then. Uh, uh, another uh, friend of mine, uh, she was like, would bang <laughs> or, or whatever. And, and I'm like, you know what? Me too, to be honest. Like, and, and so she said that, um, you know, you can be, uh, Anson sexual. <laughs> 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 because we were all last week on on our show, we were talking about all well, we kind of have like a man crush on him, and I'm like, hey, Pike is freaking cool. I yeah. like him. Love his dog too. Did you see the picture on Instagram of his dog sitting in the captain's chair? That was sad that <laughs> yeah. his dog had to die. Yeah, but yeah, Anson Mount is totally awesome for Star Trek. I, I mean, what what a great actor. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, Mr. Barry, do you have any other likes? that you want to add sure i loved we haven't talked a lot about tilly in this episode mm. i really like that there's also hinting at a bigger mystery because you find out that her friend it like died five years before this episode so yeah. why is she having visions right and i'm hoping this leads to the bigger overall story that you know maybe it's not just burnham and spock who are having these visions and it kind of calls back into that whole faith versus science. Like, are these aliens or whoever these red angels are, are, are they an advanced species? Are they able to manipulate us in different ways? And that's so cool. And and one of the things I, I liked uh, that Pike said was reinterpreting the whole, you know, is science distinguishable from magic? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a- any advanced species that we don't know about might be considered like a God. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I really love that. And I, I love that they really laid into the religion on this episode because Star Trek has dealt with religion before many times, but not human religion. Yeah. It's always been alien religions yeah. that they've had to deal with. Sure. Or, or like Chakotay, you know, like kind of like, Ooh, like, you know, native American mysticism and, and, and that kind of stuff. And even that but, was really cobbled together. Right. You know, that's one of, right. one of people's main complaints about the character was that he was completely misrepresenting what most <laughs> native Americans right. believe. And so they're like, well, what is all this? And so that's why I loved just the whole premise of this episode, because they go down to a planet. I always like when Star Trek deals with pre-warp like civilizations, because they all have their own spin on it. To your take, Mr. Dewey, Eric, about Jonathan Frakes directing this episode, mm-hmm. there was so much callback to First Contact. When they did that shot, when the lights came on in the church, and they did that upward panning shot into space, mm-hmm. I was I was for a second expecting to see the warp streak of Discovery, <laughs> like in First Contact. Mm-hmm. And 
it was just, it was such a parallel for, for him to, to come back and direct an episode like this, because even the fashion that they wore to beam in was very much like that mid 21st century that the disguise that they used in first right. contact, like, yeah. like some leathers, but kind of like more, you know, whatever. All you needed and was I, Marina Sirtis getting blackout drunk and then right, would have been, right, right, would have been well, perfect. Not, <laughs> <laughs> but no, just all the tiebacks to first contact uh, as well. Like they mentioned World War Three again. Yep. We, we get that consistent timeline. We get the mention of like 600 million dead again. And to even tie this where we see video footage uh, from that time period and the whole World War Three. And, oh, no, we've got hundreds packed in here. Oh, the bombs are going to drop. Then you have this mysterious event around it because we already know that World War Three for Star Trek was in, in their universe, in, in the prime universe, was catastrophic. Yeah. I mean, that that's what led to first contact, yada, yada. We know the whole story. But, you know, even in Next Generation, mentioning the soldiers, you know, juicing up and, you know, yeah. there was like this whole period of just before civilization even got back on its feet mm -hmm. and to see star trek touch upon that again in a new series and and i that's why i love the entire concept like these aliens just in this insane period of history no one's gonna notice these aliens and these aliens just went bloop and we're gonna take <laughs> your whole thing and it kind of reminded me of voyagers the 37 where mm -hmm. There is also people taken from time. This is, I mean, this is a Star Trek classic story. Yeah. And that's what I loved about it. And go, I just loved everything that dealt with religion because they were able to take all the human religion and, and we see all the symbols. We see Buddhist and uh, Judaism and Catholicism. And she even mentions Wiccan. Yep. Like, that's crazy that w finally, you know, Star Trek is touching upon human religion in, in a way that they haven't before. Like, they're blatantly mentioning it. And I love the fact that their basically their new Bible was like a cutout. Of yeah. Literally the, copy text. and pasted. Yeah. Not, not just like rewritten. That was one thing I really liked about their society is the fact that they didn't try to hide their origin. We've seen other right. Star Trek shows where they like, they've been taken out or they've crash landed or something like that. And then the original people tried so hard to hide their origin from everybody. They tried to bury their right. origin and no, they embraced it. They made it part of their religion. Like this is what happened. We were, we were here and we were saved, but which God yeah, saved us, a God saved us. And we just decided that it was all of them. <laughs> yeah. So, and the fact that they embraced, you know, they, knew exactly where they were from, when they were from, and how long they'd been there, and, and all that stuff. They just you know, mistakenly thought that the earth had been completely destroyed or humanity had been completely wiped out and not evolved any further. But other than that, it's, they knew it's a unique, it's a unique perspective because it's taking some of Star Trek's best concepts of pre-warp, but also like a parallel development of human culture. And the original series had that too, where like the, there was that other earth that they found and it was like, what the hell? And so, so I, I just love that. And it's kind of tying into the original series a little bit. It's tying into some of those best pre-warp type of episodes from like TNG and yeah. Enterprise even with the communicator. So it definitely very much felt like, oh man, this is classic Star Trek storytelling, but with a twist. And that's what I liked. But 
uh, just going back to my original point, I also like the Tilly side story with this mm-hmm. because I don't think it's a coincidence that she's also having some kind of vision. Mm. Yeah. I, I have a theory on that. When we, when we get to our uh, sure. predictions and stuff, I'll talk about that a little bit more, but yeah, I, I like that whole thing about her having this friend that she's talking to. And then of course, upon watching it the first time and then going back and watching it, you can see that may doesn't interact with anybody else. Like you don't really yep. notice it the first time through. I you, saw it the second time and I was like, Oh man. Yeah. You know, the, the doctor and Saru walk in and she's there and she just kind of moves to the side, but they don't acknowledge her presence, but she also yeah. doesn't speak while they're there. It's not until after she leaves and the whole, like you're a genius. No, you're a genius. It's like, mm. well, okay. Does that, mean that this is all in her head or is there some mm. oh, I, well like i said when we get to predictions i'll talk about that but yeah that whole side story with her and and all that was pretty awesome yeah so o- overall i i just i really liked uh the episode but i also like tilly's side story to your point aaron i also like that we get a Woshikun in here too because we're yeah. starting to see the bridge crew more and more and that was my biggest complaint of uh, season one that we've got these cool side characters, but on a normal Star Trek show, these would be our main characters. Yeah, I like how they're doing it, too. It's not just like, OK, we're going to build this entire episode around this one character to force feed you their backstory. Or we're going to use one episode at the beginning of the series to force feed you all of the characters backstories like encounter at Farpoint, you know we're t- it's going to be we're going to take this character goes on this away mission and we learn a few things about her that really fill in the character without it feeling force fed they could easily just make an episode where like the bridge crew comes in one by one to pike's ready room and tells them all about their lives and yeah we could learn about them that way but it would be a boring episode this way is much more fun and yes we learn oh, okay so she grew up in a community that shunned technology even though they're in the you know in a very technological age she obviously left that community to right. go into starfleet and work with technology but she still knows about that so she knows about these older things like bike probably didn't even know what a slide bolt was you know know, when would he have ever seen a slide bolt lock on something you know everything's electronic magnetic force fields this force fields that but she was like you know what if this is just a slide bolt which this kind of door would probably have i can i can get us out of here with a magnet and i also like the new ruddy room or his 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 new area that was nice i want to know where all that extra space came from because it looked like it was the same ready room but then he just had like like an extension built on <laughs> no no they i there was actually one of the producers they taught to trek core it's a different part of the ship oh, okay so he actually moved because yeah. i was like wait a minute that room wasn't that big like i know he wanted <laughs> to have chairs and stuff but it, it seemed to me like i was looking i was like okay so he's got the same standing desk over there but then he's got this sitting area also but i'm like but where'd the space come from <laughs> right and he's also he's gonna be there temporarily Right. So, I mean, yeah. It, it looked like a lounge space anyway. Yeah. That he just kind of commandeered. Right. And I dig that. So what, what did we not like about this episode? Um, the biggest thing that stood out to me, first and foremost, is Michael's very obviously confrontational approach to the belief system of the people on Terra Lisi. Um, like, I can understand, you know, as, a, as somebody who was raised on Vulcan, she's not going to be very religious at all. She's, you know, it's all logic. Logic is their religion, so they're not going to believe in deities. They're going to subscribe to the theory that anything that we 
ascribed to a deity is probably just an advanced species. But the way she she seemed way too confrontational about it. It wasn't just her saying like, oh, well, what about this? It was more like, well, what about this? I was like, whoa, easy there. Like that seems like a really, really strong emotional response to them having a belief different than you that I, I wouldn't normally ascribe to her. So I, I thought it was, why is she so upset that they have these beliefs? And even when she was talking just to Pike, she's like, you can't, you can't be thinking about leaving them here. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And she was like freaked out about it. I'm like, why? Like, because they didn't know about, you know, the impending doom. They found out about that up on the ship. And, you know, Pike and them did not even know about that. So I was like, why is she so hardcore against them having these beliefs? Like, she always seemed like a much more accepting person than that, mm-hmm. than, than she seemed in this one. So that really stood out to me as something that it seemed out of character for Michael. And I, I maybe they'll explain it later. Maybe she's had a particular experience that we'll, we'll see in a flashback or something that will kind of inform her behavior on this. As it stands right now, I thought it was just out of character for her to be that confrontational about it. You know, her words made sense for a Vulcan, but her tone was like, wow, easy there and chill out. (laughs) And I think they could have done a better job of like having that conflict. I, I totally agree with you. Like her, her instance, even to the people, like you're supposed to be blending in. Well, what if religion was, what if science was my religion? Like, okay, calm down. You're supposed to be undercover. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Like I said, her words were fine because it gave Jacob the opportunity to come out and say, basically, yeah, well, yeah, that is me and my family's essentially religion is science. Mm-hmm. We believe in this technology, but it would just seem like it's something more that she should have been like, well, what about if science was your religion? Said, well, what about if science was religion? <laughs> it's like, whoa, <laughs> take a step back and chill out. What's going on? It was just her tone more than her words that stood out as being out of character to me. Like I said, I maybe they'll maybe they'll just tell us about something that happened to her in the past that or maybe it's just this whole like she's lashing out because she doesn't want to believe she she's really struggling with the fact that she saw this angel. Yeah. And so she's like she she has to find a, an explanation for it other than it being an angel. She's like so against them calling them angels and like, oh, that word has a connotation to it. It's like, well, that's just what we're calling them. I mean, that's what they call them. That's what we're calling them. We're just they need a name. What are we going to call them? So and, and, and I did like that when they were in the basement, she told Pike that. Well, I am. I'm. I'm going to prove that it's different. Like, I'm going to prove that it's science versus faith. And I, I'd like their back and forth, but yeah, th- I think there's a different way she could have approached that. Another thing that struck me as odd was that you know when we first see them use the the spore drive, Stamets was obviously reluctant to jump in, and he tells us why. You know, it's like last time, you know, when we jumped, came out of the Terran universe, I saw Hugh, and he helped. But I didn't see him the last time. And so he was very reluctant to to get back in. And then when he came out, he was visibly upset. And we don't know exactly why. We'll get into unanswered questions later. That's one of mine. But then later... He literally jumped at the chance, pun very much intended there, to jump again. Like, he was like, like, oh, let's jump. Why don't we jump? Hey, hey, guys, how about we jump? Like, he was all over it to, to use it again after the fact. And there was no explanation about what happened in between him leaving the chamber all upset 
and then suddenly wanting to jump again. So I was like, it Wait. felt like it felt like there was a scene that was cut. Yeah, I wonder if there was, or maybe something that we'll see later on. You know, maybe it was moved to another episode or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just was like, wait a minute. He was like very reluctant. Like he was doing it because they had to, but he was reluctant. And now he's just like all about it. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then the biggest thing I think that uh, didn't seem right to me, and I know this, uh, at least Aaron, you, you thought this as well. Mm-hmm. Pike not knowing how the spore drive worked. Like, I don't expect him to know all the details of the mycelial network and how the ship uses it. That part, okay, I get that part. But him, he looked like he had no clue that Stamets had injected himself with tardigrade DNA. He had no clue about the tardigrade at all. And he had, like, all of that was brand new information to him. I'm like, wait a minute. You were briefed on the top secret classified information about the mirror universe that nobody's supposed to know about, but they told you to take over the ship, but they didn't tell you how the damn drive on the ship you're taking command of works. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. Like how, Yeah. that seems like something that captains in general should know since they were planning on rolling this out at one point to all the ships. So I, you'd think it would be something that captains at least had been briefed on. You know, yeah, Pike was away, but then when he came back and obviously was briefed on all of the other things that had happened, you'd think they'd mention that as well. So, yeah, it was like, wait a minute. How did he not know about any of this? Like, he should have been briefed on this. Yeah, he should have been briefed on it. They have people removing parts of it to other areas of the ship in storage. He should be reading duty logs and seeing what's going on. So I, that kind of took me out of the episode for that scene. And I realized that scene is probably for people that are coming to discovery for the first time oh, this sure. season. Yeah. It, probably the reason for Saru's line. You, you, you kind of had to be there like, Hey, go watch season one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I get it's there for the audience and not specifically for Pike. It was kind of weird. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, what other issues uh, did you have with this episode? Aaron? So, Saru's use of the spore drive, I understand that it was the only option. I don't want it to be overused in the season. Right. And I think it will be. They've hinted that there's going to be familiar aliens in this uh, season of Discovery. I'm thinking that we're going to see these aliens because they're going to be jumping all over the place to see these the red signals. Yeah, they um, explain that the the signals are spread out over you know fifty some thirty thousand light years. Yeah, did they yeah, say thirty? I thought yeah, it was, they said it was thirty. Okay, then I have a gripe then, which is still a lot. <laughs> well, but th- then I have a gripe then because then they said when they were looking for when they were trying to pinpoint the red burst, and I liked how they did that. How they said, okay, we can't get a, an exact pinpoint, but if we move a little bit and then use redshift to figure out to try to triangulate the position, like I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's that's pretty cool. That's like that's real scientific stuff. Yeah, I dug that. But then they said it was forty-five thousand light years away. So if it's only spread out over thirty thousand light years, how is this one fifty thousand light years away? I thought they had said fifty, and that's why it made sense. Okay, yeah, oh, they're all spread out over fifty. Uh, then forty-five I, I, makes I sense. I could be wrong. I I'll, could be wrong. I'll have to go back and listen to that part again because yeah. But I remember thinking that too. Like, wait a minute, is that number bigger than the number they said it was spread out? Well, you also have to think about it like this: it's a new signal. So the span might have increased. Yeah, it's possible. But I I thought they said it was just another one of the signals that it because the way I understand it thus far is that all these seven signals came up at once 
and then went away and then are coming back one at a time in the same place as they were, but they didn't get a chance to map them completely. They weren't up long enough for them to pinpoint them. Which, which again, is, is kind of like that first burst was like, hey, we're here, check us out. And then, so again, it's hinting at that higher power kind of thing. Yeah, which in television show where you have many different species and where we know things like the Q continuum exist, it could be just a, another alien. But, you know, people are going to take that to mean different things. And if, mm-hmm. a, an, an, if an alien species with advanced technology that has the ability to step in and save people from time to time chooses to do so, then essentially they are a deity to those people. So it's kind of like you can explain it away as being science if you want to, but you can also understand why people would have faith in it as being some sort of unexplainable thing if they didn't know. So yeah, it's the whole thing raises just so many questions about what is the what is the difference? At what point do you take away the worship aspect and just acknowledge what it is or what it isn't? And yeah, I'm 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 hoping that this season delves deeper into that like you uh, Eric that it, it should be really good if they do that. Yeah. And just uh, continuing on my thought, please, no Borg. I, yeah. Oh, God. They were so. Please. The whole yeah. thing about the Borg was that they were this new big threat that we saw first time in TNG and nobody had ever heard or seen about them before. And then Enterprise went and just totally fudged that I, all up. Although I am fine with, with Enterprise because it was classified enough and it set up that episode for the next generation. Like, we, we're, we're going to encounter them anyway. And I like that it tied back to First Contact. So Enterprise, yeah, when the episode first came out, I was like, God, how are you going to do the Borg on Enterprise? But they kind of tied it all in together. I was fine with that. But we do not need to see them in Discovery at all. I concur. Yeah. They would, they would not fit in. I, I would be okay with V'ger before the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. that'd be rough. I think the one thing I would like to see is design concepts of what Discovery's Borg would look like. Like, I I would love to see what the designers of Discovery, with what they've done with the Klingons, with what, what they've done with the ships and all the, hmm. the uniforms and insignias and all these things that they've changed slightly for Discovery to be its unique look. I would be interested to see what they did with the Borg. I don't want to see them in the show, but I would like to see the the Discovery designers take on the Borg. That's, I just, but like in a book, <laughs> not, not, in a, not in a novel, but like a, a design book, like an art book, like show me sure. what they, if they, if they were going to bring the Borg in, this is what they would look like. That's, I want to see it, but I don't want it in the show. <laughs> Finally, my last dislike is the length of the, of the episode. Uh, I wanted something longer. Oh, I, I thought that the, what they did in the time was great. I, mm-hmm. I just wish that they took advantage of the streaming platform a little bit more. I know we've mentioned oh that last year. That's that's my biggest frustration with this is that even though it's streaming, they're still treating this as like, oh, it's going to be on the network. It has to be 44 minutes. Like, yeah, and they have the obvious commercial cuts. You make an hour cuts. and a half episode and I would watch it. Yeah. I didn't feel that this one felt too short. The fact that it was short enough that I was able to watch it four times between when it came out Thursday night and this morning that we're recording this episode. I I enjoyed that. I felt they told the whole story. But yeah, I do agree that they could have added like those scenes that we're talking about as far as, you know, why is why is Stamets gone from this to this and, you know, other little things that they could have easily fit in. And I could understand them making two edits like here's an edit for the places where it's going to be broadcast on TV. And here's an edit for 
the people who are paying for a subscription and are getting it. I would I would be okay with that. You know, then the people who are watching it for free on broadcast TV in Canada or uh, you Canada. Know, yeah, it's Canada, right? Where it's on space TV or something. Is it yeah. broadcast or is that cable? Is that a cable channel? I have no idea. <laughs> Me neither. Um, but essentially, they're getting it included in their they're they're getting it included in their TV, whether it's broadcast or cable or whatever. They're not paying extra just for Star Trek. So I would be okay with them getting the commercial edit with the commercial breaks and things like that in there, and then us paying for all access and the people who are paying for it on Netflix and such should get the director's cut or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the extended edition. I would be down with that for sure. Yeah. Like with, I, I would have enjoyed a little bit more explanation on the statements front, but that complaint can go away if it's touched upon in the future. Mm-hmm. But I just would have liked just a little more about the people of, of this planet. Like, Maybe let us spend a little bit more time with the leader or yeah. uh, Jacob's daughter. Yeah, I do agree. Mm-hmm. That scene felt a little rushed when they were reciting it as a prayer, which made sense. But as a prayer, it was a little too descriptive. And yes, that was for our benefit to know the backstory and to know that these people know their own backstory, which I appreciate. But it did seem a little out of place and rushed, especially the fact that if it was being recited as a prayer, when Pike interjected like that would have been seen as offensive. I'm assuming, you know, if, if somebody's you know praying, if they're reciting a prayer and you like interject something into the middle of it, they're going to be like, what you doing? <laughs> so that seemed a little bit rushed just to get the story all crammed in there. So that scene could have been a little bit extended. It could have had the, like the basic prayer and then have them sitting aside talking about, you know, what they knew about their past and their, how they got where they are. So I can, I can yeah. see, I can see your gripe, Aaron. I, I, I can, uh, I, I didn't feel it was too short when watching it, but looking back, yeah, there's definitely some unanswered questions, which we'll talk about in a moment that it did leave, which hopefully will be answered in future episodes. Right. Uh, Mr. Barry, do you have any dislikes? Uh, aside from, from what you guys talked about, like the overuse of, of the spore drive, I, I did like their whole solution and, and the donut maneuver. I, I didn't have a <laughs> problem cool. with Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that. No, you know what? I, I can't really say that there's a, not a lot that I disliked aside from what we've already talked about. Like, yeah, the Pike not knowing about the spore drive, that was... That was a bit much. The overuse of the spore drive. The one thing I don't want this to be is like, you know, like lost in space. We're going to the Delta Quadrant next week or something like that. And Mm -hmm. like jump hopping around the galaxy. Like, I don't want this to be essentially just like a like a scavenger hunt right i'm fine if they solve the mystery of the seven bursts before they visit each single one of them you know what i mean right so that could be my bigger complaint as a season overall depending on how this all lays out i see but uh, for this episode i wish we just spent a little bit more time with some of the uh terrelesiums or whatever you call them yeah no, I, I feel you there. Now, some unanswered questions, and I think Mr. Dewey kind of talked about this as well. What's up with Tilly? Is her old friend a figment of her imagination due to a concussion? A weird side effect of being in contact with the dark matter? I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out. Yeah, me too. I, I definitely want I, to know what's up with that, and I have I some theories. Might, but Yeah, I think it might be the dark matter just based on some of the stuff we've seen in the trailers, like them pulling something out of her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, but again, that could be related to, you know, the whole red burst thing. Right. And the appearance of these signals in the humans that were abducted, how they are 
related. Mm. Oh, yeah, because it, it was the red aliens that abducted them in the first place. Right. Mm. Like, why did they abduct them? I have a sort of theory about that as well, and which is a, a, another one of my unanswered questions. <laughs> All right. Mr. Dewey, what are, what are your unanswered questions here? Um, well, one thing is, uh, you know, we were talking about Stamets, how he left the chamber very visibly upset. And we don't know why. We, know, we don't talk to him after that, but then later he's ready to go again. Was he upset because he did see Hugh in the network again and had to leave him? Or was he upset because he was hoping to see Hugh again and didn't? Like, I'd really mm. like to know whether mm-hmm. or not he saw him because he come out of there and he's just like, not now, Tilly, and just out the door. And it's like, well, but but why? Because I could, I could understand either reason for being upset. You know, if he saw Hugh again, he really wants, you know, he'd be willing to just leave himself in the network and be with Hugh that way. But he knows that he's needed, you know, to do this stuff. So he would have had to leave. And uh, that would have been heartbreaking, which would have upset him. But also if he was hoping, you know, when he got in the chamber, like hoping, oh, I hope I get to see Hugh. And then he didn't. That would also be disappointing and leave him upset. So I'd like to know which it was. Um, right. And then uh, with May, is this just a hallucination? Was it due to the conk on the head? Is it due to the dark matter, the metrion particles or whatever? I personally, and I'm going to kind of jump ahead to one of my predictions, but... But my kind of theory on this right now is that it's a combination of what's going on with the red bursts, with the the her interaction with the metrion particle from this, and the activated spore that had fallen on her and like soaked through her uniform into her in season one. Mm. Like I wonder oh, if I wonder right. if May is like a is like a. a a ghost, a mycelial ghost, kind of like Hugh is. Like she's seeing her in the network because we learned that May is dead. And if mm-hmm. you, I, I calculated the day, she would have been 16 oh, when whoa. she died. Like I, I, I like I, either 15 or 16. I, I just, I didn't do the specific months. I just did the years. She would have. It was only 16 years difference between the birth date and the death date. So I was like, so she died young. You know, the whole thing about this. You know, you know, Stamets keeps telling us that nothing's gone forever. The the mycelial network holds a piece of everything. So is she a ghost of the yeah so i think it's a combination like it's her interaction mm. with the dark matter and the spores and this other stuff going on but we'll find out but right now it's unanswered that's that's what i'm thinking and then my other question that is unanswered at this time is okay so these red bursts seem to be being sent out by this angel race whatever they are and obviously this angel race had the power at one point to just scoop up an entire building and its occupants and poof, make them appear 50,000 light years away on another planet. But now they need Starfleet's help to to fix other problems. Is something going on where they themselves are are dying out or losing power or something? To, you know, mm. So what's what's going on with that? Because obviously they had the power to do something like that before. But now they're leading Starfleet to these places. Why are they doing that? You know, if they had the power to do that before, you'd think they'd have the power to destroy the you know, the, the the rings that were radioactive and uh, causing problems, or to put them back into place properly, or whatever. But they needed to call Starfleet's attention to it in order to to correct that. So why is that? Hopefully, we find out. Mm-hmm. What other unanswered questions do you guys have? So, yeah, I definitely want to know what's up with this uh, race of beings. I read an interesting theory that someone said these actually might be uh, the Iconians who created the Iconian gateways. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it, it, it would be. I'm also wondering, kind of like a theory, 
what if this is just a test, like a major test, kind of like what we've seen in the original series before, like the Organians uh, or the Metronones, that that kind of thing, or the the Metrons, you know, from Arena, that that kind of thing. So I'm I'm wondering if this is a test and why they saved you know a human race back in World War Three. And then eventually point to, you know, us to discover that in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just wondering if this is some kind of like long form test for uh, humanity and Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. Like a like a puzzle room type of situation. See if they can figure out what's going on. Yeah. It is curious to, you know, why did they scoop up this particular church, this particular group of people to, to save? Did they save anybody else? during World War III that we don't know about yet and put them someplace else? Or did they step into other civilizations during major wars or major destructive events to, to save other beings somewhere else? Like, what's their deal? What is their Wait, deal? Didn't we have, didn't Star Trek have the preservers? Isn't that, is that something? the, is that the race that put those, like, um, those obelisks on the planets or is that something else where, where they uh, were like preventing asteroids or something from colliding with planets? Yes. The, the super race. Yes. And rescuing primitive cultures in danger of distinction or extinction. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was that big obelisk thing. Yeah. Oh. Which, which we saw briefly in season one when she was in the uh, sport chamber seeing yeah, it, other, other planets. A preserver obelisk was also present on one of the moons of Andoria as seen in contexts for Kings of discovery. Yep. But, I mean, it would be cool if they like maybe maybe that's what they're tying into. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So the preservers, you said. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking I'll, I'll, either the preservers or like some, the Iconians, like the Iconian Gateway or something. Mm -hmm. Like we, we, it's like we don't need another race of godlike beings in Star Trek when there's right. a couple that we haven't we don't know all the details for. And that would be a deep cut if they said, "Oh, we're." We are the preservers or something. And people be like, oh, and yeah, <laughs> right. That's interesting. I kind of started developing an idea, which I'm going to leave for the predictions at the end. All right. What are we going to score this episode, guys? I, I've got four pips. Captains. Four pips. <laughs> giving it the full captain. I'm staying within the confines of the ensign to captain scale this time. I am giving it four pips also as a captain, but I'm also going to pin a Christopher Pike Medal of Valor on this bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to give her uh, two and a half pips, a lieutenant oh. commander. Harsh. Is that, You're harsh hey, in my that's, mellow. <laughs> that's pretty much. That's kind so, of like standard of the middle of the road. Yeah. Middle of the road. Because you have like ensign, lieutenant junior grade, lieutenant, lieutenant commander. It's a good, good, solid rank. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, if, if I set it too high, then I can't go higher, you know? Yeah, you I, I'm I just judging this on its own merit for right now. The, the, the scale could change. It's like if I'm thinking every episode is a captain, maybe I'm going to have to uh, tone it down Re a bit. <laughs> Rethink your. Yeah. 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 I hope right. every every episode is captain or above. Yeah, that would be too. fantastic. <laughs> uh, because that just means we're getting damn good Star Trek every week, which would be fantastic. I would love that. All right. So we kind of talked about predictions already. Um, any other predictions we have for episode three and beyond? Um, well, like I said, I, I think the 
red bursts or the angels or whatever are going to continue to d- direct Starfleet to, or you know, Discovery specifically, since that's who we're following, to people or places that are in need of some sort of assistance. And maybe someplace that, you know, maybe we find out that these are all places that they've helped before, like this one. Like, we don't, we don't know if they did something at the asteroid field or if they just directed them to the asteroid field first because they knew that they would need one of those asteroids in order to fix the problem at the next step. But I think the I think it's going to culminate in the final burst being the angel species itself. And that's, mm. you know, you know, asking basically them asking for help. And like you said, maybe it's a test like, OK, we'll we'll give them these things. If they can do that, then we know they've got the abilities needed to, to right. help us because obviously they were very powerful before. But now they're looking for somebody else to step in and help. So what's going on with that? Um, and I talked before about uh, May being a mycelial ghost um, because of the, the whole sport. Or no, you know everything else going on. So that's kind of where I think it's going. I'd be okay with that. I, I understand it, it kind of takes Discovery to a, a Monster of the Week type of episodic storytelling. But as long as they still keep everything tied together well and keep the direction and, and the storytelling that they've been doing, I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as it doesn't get too formulaic, uh, you know, as long as it's everything is, uh, you know, fresh and unique and we're seeing, I, I love this episode because we did see stuff that we've seen in other treks, but we we're seeing it handled differently. And I think better than we've seen it handled in previous treks. So mm-hmm. I, I would be okay with that theme continuing. So um, that's my prediction for episode three and beyond. Um, my prediction for episode three, now that we're uh, bringing the Klingons back into this and also uh, Michelle Yeoh's character, the mirror Giorgio uh, with the mirror universe, I'm wondering if there's going to be maybe a race for these red bursts and maybe section 31 is trying to, also solve the problem to maybe have some kind of advantage for their own. Yeah. We don't even know how section 31 plays into all of this yet, although we know they do. So, yeah. So, and obviously we, we have to continue Laurel's story and all that, but mm-hmm. I, I wonder if at some point the, the Klingons will be affected by a red burst or, or they're, they're out to seek them for their own agenda as well. Yeah. I'm wondering if one of the red bursts appears somewhere near, you know, or in Klingon space or something like that. And you know, they, they, they have to go deal with Laurel to be like, Hey, we, we want to check out this thing, but it's in your space. So can we <laughs> please, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, something, going on um we know that the klingons are involved we, the preview at the end of this episode said next time or next episode not this season yeah so everything that we saw in that preview in theory should be happening in episode three which means we're going to see klingons we're going to see laurel we're going to see Giorgio, we're going to see tyler this next episode is going to be going to be packed it looks like and we get to see that cool ship uh the vulcan ship that Sarek ship i have the the eagle moss model of that ship and it is so nice it is so cool looking of a ship so i'm glad we're seeing more of that cool so some predictions i have for beyond i don't really have anything for the next episode more spore jumps and we're going to see a spore jump time travel somehow connected to the calypso short i think one thing i was formulating just now i think these red angels are the species related to the alien 
in Star Trek V, the Shakari god mm. alien. You think they're so gonna why try do you to... want to? This is the most we've talked about Star Trek V. <laughs> are, are you are, are you I hoping that Discovery redeems Star Trek V? Is that is that what you're hoping that they like take Star Trek V and be like, okay, we're gonna do it right this time? <laughs> yeah. That's oh, that'd be hoping. cool. I, I'd be I'd be okay with that somewhat. Yeah. Uh, so I I think it would be interesting, and then we see Cybok later on, kind of either maybe being manipulated by these aliens somehow. I don't know, but uh, yeah, those those are my predictions. All right. Well, either way, I, I still predict that we're in for a hell of a ride this season, and I I can't wait for more. I'm I'm loving these episodes so far. I hope. Anybody who isn't watching gets on it. Uh, hopefully, with that, you know, episode one being up on YouTube to watch for free. Hopefully, that drives some more people to watch the show and to get all access and watch <laughs> along with us as it comes out. Because everybody needs a little trek in their lives. I think this is a dang good one to start with. Indeed. So, Mr. Dewey, if we were to find you on the internet. How would we do so? You can follow me on most social media platforms at Eric J. Dewey. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped uh, under that handle. And don't forget to follow the rest of the shows on the 4-Eyed Radio Network. We're on Twitter at the Sasquatch Net. We're on Instagram at 4-Eyed uh, Radio. And we're on Facebook at 4-Eyed Radio Network. Awesome. Uh, Mr. Barry? Yeah, you can find me at trekkieb 47 on Twitter and Instagram and on most other platforms. Um, you can also check out uh, the Ranger Command Power Hour, at, also on the 4-Eyed Radio Network. Celebrating its five-year anniversary. That is amazing. If Good I job. can get that episode out today, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you can find me on most social media platforms at Nova Charter. Uh, once again, guys, great conversation. And I look forward to next time. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Keep on trucking. All right. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Red burst out. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod.